going to keep our school-age kids in here just for another moment. I'm going to introduce the prayer series and then read our scripture. And then uh, Reynolds is going to come and preach. Uh, We're starting a new series on prayer. And uh, in the life of our church, I have not been more excited and more expectant. Um, Even waking up this morning thinking, uh, it's here. We can start this prayer series. God's been doing this incredible thing in my life and our staff on just this idea of prayer. And we've entitled this series, and I, I don't know, do you got it? Yeah, pray what you've got. Bad grammar, great uh, theology. Pray what you've got. Where we're coming, pray what you've got. This comes from a C.S. Lewis quote that says, um, pray what's in your heart, not what you think ought to be in your heart. Because that's what God honors. He wants us to bring him what's on our heart. And so many of us pray poorly or think we pray poorly because we try to become all theological or uh, just just different when we pray. And God wants us to bring him our true heart. As a matter of fact, in the passage that I think Reynolds is going to get to today, uh, he warns us not to pray like the Pharisee who pray to be heard, who pray to impress God and who pray to earn their own righteousness. And that's not why we pray. Instead, Jesus invites us to come to him like a child and to pray what's literally on our hearts. And so I wanna make room for that today. Listen, God, God can handle it. God wants you to pray what's on your heart. I read this week, someone defined prayer as keeping company with God. And I love that. I grew up in a generation where my grandparents always had a dessert ready when neighbors came over. And it was a common thing that neighbors would come over. My mama Joyce always had a pound cake ready and, you know, had two pound cakes ready, actually. One for the visitors and then one for us to eat every time we walked through the kitchen. We would grab a little pinch of the pound cake. What I love about that is, to me, keeping company with God is that. Every time that we come to the Lord, he's ready. Psalms 23 says that he has prepared a table for us in the midst of our own enemies. He's prepared a table. He's ready. He wants us to come to him. We've got a quick little application step. This has been in your, in your connection guide. I want you to look at this as a family. This is the 752 initiative. Um, and kids in here, I want you to remind your parents about this. 752. Seven. You're praying for your family seven days a week. That's all of us. So if you're a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old in here or a teenager, just make it a point to pray for your family every day this week. However you do it, pray at breakfast, whatever. Pray silently. Pray for your family. We're going to pray together as a family five days a week. And if you think, man, that's a lot, just add 10 seconds onto the prayer for the meal. That's fine. It doesn't have to be a separate time. Maybe have one of the kids pray for the meal, and then you pray and just take 10 or 15 seconds to pray as a family together. And then twice a week, I want uh, you parents, I want you to pray together for your kids. And if you're single in here, um, not married, just take some time and pray for a close friend. 752, God's going to do some incredible things um, through our praying. Let me pray for us, then I'm going to read the scripture. Reynolds, you can go and come up. But as I pray aloud, would you take some time just right where you're at? Would you take some time and just, in, maybe this is the first time you've talked to God today, would you, would you just ask him to move mightily?
the God that we just sang about, the holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. He wants to, he wants to talk to you. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that's so evident. God, we need you. We take off all of our masks and pseudo strength and strategy and we come before you like children and we say, God, we need you. Would you do a work? It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen. Scripture reading for today is in Luke 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke. Hey, we'll go ahead and dismiss our school-aged children now. Awesome. Well, um... While they're uh, heading out, uh, I just want to say I'm, I'm super excited to be able to kind of introduce this series today, and I think because it's such an incredible uh, time for us at Covenant Church to start a series on prayer. Um, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you've almost certainly heard me um, over the last month or so talk about how much uh, I've been praying uh, for our Disciple Now weekend last weekend. Um, And it wasn't just me. You know, Luke mentioned um, our staff has been praying. Um, Our youth lead team is committed to to praying and fasting over the last month leading up to that. Uh, And I don't know if you you were here, certainly you saw it last week, but uh, God showed up in uh, an incredible way uh, during that weekend. Uh, He showed up that weekend during our times of worship. during our times of fellowship, just the times of hanging out, there was just this really sweet spirit we felt as well. During our small group time where they were answering questions and meeting with their leaders. During our times of listening to teaching of God's word. Um, and I don't think that it was any coincidence that my excitement for, for, for Disciple Now that weekend was maybe greater than anything else I've ever done in ministry before because I prayed more for that event than anything else I'd ever done before. And I guess my thoughts since that time really been that if covering something in prayer to the point of literal exhaustion, right, if, if, if that is something that, that is that effective, that, that is that personally sanctifying even, like why don't I do that more often? And so I want to take some time today and talk to you about why we pray, right? And so I, I want to stop here and just kind of clear up a few things. First, I know if you're like me at all, uh, that there's this, uh, you know, you hear someone that's going to preach on prayer and it makes you a little apprehensive, maybe frustrated. Um, I feel like most of the time I've heard someone teach on prayer, I immediately feel like I'm not good enough. I don't pray well enough. Um, that, uh, 
you know, it's intimidating to sit and listen to someone who gives you the sense that, uh, man, that they, they, they're incredible prayer. Maybe they've got it all together. It's like, uh, so I, some of you guys know that I also teach on the side, and I feel like it's one of those times when I sit in these workshops where some lady that hasn't taught, hadn't been in the classroom in 10 years, she comes in and gives us one incredible lesson using these new, you know, methods or, you know, whatever else. And she's like, this is how you can teach the diagram a sentence, you know. And my thought is like, that's great, Karen. How can I teach that, you know, with the Pythagorean theorem? Um, this sermon is not going to be that today. I, I hope that it's not that. I hope that you don't leave here thinking that, if you leave here thinking that I have it all together knowing how to pray, you've, you've completely not heard me because I don't have it all together. I'm not some expert prayer. Um, I don't have the answers to your prayer struggles. I don't even have the answers to my own necessarily. There's no exact formula to prayer, but I do believe that if we understand why we pray, it'll help us when we pray. Because most of us struggle in some way, right? Are we praying long enough? Are we using the right words? Are there there, there, there magic words I can use when I pray? Am I praying often enough, right? Am I supposed to pray about literally everything, like even the, the small things? And I think that prayer inevitably brings about at least a few of these questions and probably many, many more for us. So I want to be upfront and honest that I probably don't have the exact answers to your questions, and I'd imagine that probably no one does. And I want to be transparent and hopefully put you at ease. Up until about six months, maybe a year ago, I'm not really sure I fully believed in the power of prayer. And maybe that's an awful thing to say since I'm preaching on prayer today. Uh, but I want to be honest with you because I know a lot of you share the same fears and struggles that, that I have. Remember in Mark 9, the man is asking Jesus to, to heal his son who's been uh, possessed by this unclean spirit, it calls it. And Jesus said, yeah, I can heal him if, if you believe. And I remember what the man said back to Jesus. He says, uh, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and I, I feel like this has been my prayer life for a long time. I do. I, I believe that prayer works. I, I believe, if you ask me, I believe that God answers prayers. But, but if I'm honest, right, I see these answers to prayer and I oftentimes just wonder if maybe it's a coincidence, right? Like maybe I just happen to have been praying for something that God was going to do anyway, right? And, and look, that's absolutely true, right? God knows all, he sees all, he's sovereign over all. So of course he had already willed it to happen. Of course he knew it was going to happen, but it's, it's not a coincidence that he's burdened my heart at the same time for these things that he's already ordained. And so it's really been over the last six to eight months when I can look back and God has changed my prayer life, when it's, when it's really shifted. And I think maybe that's a natural response, right? When you're getting ready to send your firstborn off to college and one of your other kids to Nepal. This is when I begin to talk to God in a real way. It's when I began to truly know what my heavenly father just wanted me to bring my concerns and my fears to him, my worries, my anxieties, right? My questions, even my frustrations to him, my praise and my joy to him. It's when I really realized that my heavenly father just wanted me to spend time with him. He wants to hear from me over and over again because he cares for me. And so it was last spring when I began to see the power of prayer like I'd never, ever seen before. When I began to take everything to God like I'd never done before. When I began to trust God to care for me like I never had before. It was during this time 
Ooh, we're starting early today. As we prepared to send Caroline and Paul, God reminded me. Reynolds, she was mine long before she was yours, and she'll be mine long after she's yours. And just like that, my heart changed. Guys, my prayers didn't change my heart because they were great prayers or because I was a great prayer. My prayers changed my heart because I took them to the Father, to the only one who can answer them. And this is when I learned why we pray. It's about this time when my my worries change to watching. When you're about to send your oldest off to college, you're fearful. He's going to make the same mistakes you did when you were there. And you got two more who are only a year away about to go. And one of those two is about to spend the summer hiking through the mountains and the jungles of Nepal, a country you've never been to and that you know very little about. It's then you get desperate. And somehow, trusting in God's sovereignty alone just felt a little bit lazy or complacent. And, and maybe that's a bad way to say it. Maybe night, just it felt a little naive, right? I needed to hear from God. And what I realized is that I became needy. It's when I became desperate for God. Our staff's reading a book by a guy named Paul Miller called A A Praying Life, and I would encourage you to read it. But Paul Miller says that American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. And I think it's because most of us aren't really needy. What we have to recognize is that we pray because we're desperate, because true prayer is rooted in desperation. So the first thing I want to see today is that we should pray desperately. And so we're going to look at four scenes in Luke 18 today, right? These show us different aspects of prayer that I think ultimately all point back to true prayer being rooted in our neediness and our desperation. So first we're going to look at verses 18 through 30 that Jason spoke about a few weeks ago about the rich young ruler. I'm going to take a minute and I want to go back and I want to look at what this man is not. We see that he is rich. We see that he is self-righteous. We see that he's halfway in with Jesus. But what we don't see, we see that this man is not desperate. He has it all. He doesn't think he has any needs until Jesus makes him aware that he needs to sell all he has and follow him. And it's here we see the, the rich young ruler walk away sad. Because when we feel like we have everything that we need, it's easy to feel independent, to feel self-sufficient. It's easy to forget that apart from God, we're absolutely nothing. For literally, as Paul writes in Ephesians, like we are dead in our sins. Guys, we live in one of the most affluent areas in our entire state. Very few of our neighbors, if any, are worried about where their next meal is coming from, about where they're going to sleep tonight. Sure, there are things that we want, maybe some things that need to be repaired around the house or on our cars, but th- these aren't things that we're desperate for. These aren't things that we would just give up anything or do anything for, right? Because we see ourselves as self-sufficient and our our pride and our our false sense of security blinds us to our spiritual condition. And we easily forget that we're always in need of Jesus. And so it's why we see this story right here end tragically, like a bad movie, like an ending that we didn't expect to happen because this guy completely missed it. And we see in verse 21 why. He, he, he says this, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus tells him what he has to do. And he says, oh, I've done all of those things. I've done those things. He thought he had it all. He didn't have any 
sense at all that there was something missing from his life. And there was no neediness. There was no desperation. No reason to look for a savior. He has everything. He doesn't need Jesus. And it's sad. So if we see that this man is not desperate, what does it look like to be desperate? And my first thought took me back to, to, to Luke 8 where we see this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent every penny that she has on any doctor she could find to try to find some solution, some healing. It's this same woman living in isolation and shame because of this. It's this same woman who fights through the crowds, literally risking her own life just to touch the cloak of Jesus. Because in her desperation, she knows that Jesus is the only real solution to her problem. And we see such a different resolution, a much better resolution here, because it's her faith that leads to her healing. For us, maybe desperation today is a husband's plea to God to spare the life of his wife of many years. Maybe desperation for us is this heartfelt, gut-wrenching cry of a parent for their child to return, their wayward child to return to Christ. Maybe desperation is the alcoholic seeking any way possible to break free from the chains of addiction. Hopefully today, desperation is the cry of a church, of our church, of the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ on its knees, calling out to the Father, begging for a move of the Spirit. Because it's our desperation that leads us to genuinely cry out from the depths of our souls to our Father in heaven. And as I wrote that, as I read it over and over again, I I want you to understand, that's not just something that I'm saying, like the depths of our soul. When you really start to get desperate, there's no other place to cry out from. We need to stop worrying and we need to start watching for God to show up. So what is it that we're desperate for today? Honestly, what is it? I'm going to look to this. I I think our desperation leads us to two things, to humility and to persistence. And because desperation leads us to humility, we should pray humbly. We see this in verses 9 through 14. Luke mentioned this earlier. We see this Pharisee right here. Uh, It's this parable of the tax collector And the Pharisee, this tax collector is despised by everyone. The Pharisee is a self-righteous religious man. They're both in the temple praying together. And it appears that without even being provoked, this Pharisee takes issue with the tax collector. He has the audacity to pray this. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. Like he goes after this guy, right? And then he brags about all that he does. But contrast this with the tax collector. See him, he's standing far off by himself, ashamed to even look up. This is a natural posture that would have been taken in prayer, right? To look up to the Father. But this man is aware of his sin. And he feels too unworthy to even do this simple thing. He just beats his chest, right? He pleads with God to show him mercy. He's acknowledging who he is as a lowly sinner. This is, the, this is the epitome of praying in humility. And isn't this what the Father asks of us? We acknowledge our sin, we confess our sins before him, and then we plead with him for forgiveness. It's definitely what the Father wants. And we can be sure of this because of what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, this man being the tax collector, 
rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, our justification is in Christ. It's not through our works. It's not through our fasting. It's not through our tithing or our doing. It's not even through our praying. Our justification is through Christ alone. And if we can't come before the Father humbly and confess our sins and ask his forgiveness, then we're going to go away like the Pharisee, lost in our own sin because we think we can do it all on our own. Desperation should lead us to pray humbly. Our desperation should lead us to persistence. So we should pray persistently. This is what we see here with the widow in the third scene I want us to look at today. If you go back to the very beginning of Luke 18, most of your Bibles probably have the heading that says the parable of the persistent widow. I want to read this passage. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. So then he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay longer over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So what makes her persistent? It says that she keeps coming back. She kept bothering him, just pestering him, right? She doesn't lose heart. And he refused for a while. And this is a woman who, who really apparently has no male in her life to kind of plead or push her case for her. And in this culture, that would have really given her no legal leg to stand on, but she persisted anyway. She's seeking justice. We finally see the judge relent. He says that he relents because she kept bothering him, because he didn't want her to beat him down, to wear him down. This is just like some of us, right? Like we're we're not going to cave, we're not going to give in, and someone just continues and persists. I think about little kids doing this, right? Wanting little toys in, in the store or something. We eventually get worn down, and we get tired of saying no or refusing whatever it is that uh, we're being asked to do. We just want to make the stubborn lady go away, so we give in. And Jesus calls this judge an unrighteous judge. And I want you to know here that this unrighteous judge, he doesn't simply cave and do what the woman wants. He doesn't cave and just say, okay, I'm going to do what I think is right. It says that he caves and gives her justice. And Jesus reminds us that God, unlike this man, is righteous. And he will give justice to his elect. Brothers and sisters in Christ, like that is us today. It says that he gives justice to those who cry out to him day and night. That's desperate. That's persistent. And I want to point out here too that Jesus does say that God will give justice speedily. But that's still in God's time, not ours, because God's timing is perfect. And he doesn't operate within the same parameters of time that we do. And I think that we only persist. like We're only persistent about the things that matter the most to us, right? We persist about those things and about things because we have a childlike faith in those things. 
So husbands in here, future husbands, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that I I got from my father-in-law before I got married. It served me well. He told me in no uncertain terms, he said, Reynolds, choose your battles, right? You got to kind of ask yourself, is this a hill worth dying on, right? So I can guarantee you in my life, like I've learned this, uh, maybe more and more as I've gotten older, been married longer. I'm not going to dig my heels into anything and bow my neck for something unless it really, really matters to me. I'm not going to persist over things that aren't important. Otherwise, I've learned hopefully just to move and let it go. See, my wife used to be really terrible about leaving her closet light on. Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify that she's, she's gotten much better about this. I don't want to forget to say that, right? And, but I'll never understand why she couldn't just flip a switch off. Um, does it make sense to me? It drove me insane, and so I would constantly stay on her about this. Just, just please, just turn it off. Why is it on, right? And at some point... I just decided, you know, it's not worth it. This is not a heel worth dying on. So I just made a decision. This would be one of my husbandly duties. And I would just flip it off behind her, not say a word to her, and I would just move on with life and not worry about it. So I did that for about two weeks. And one day in the kitchen, Sharice looked at me and she goes, you know, you haven't had to fuss at me about leaving the light on for a long time. Now, because this wasn't a heel worth dying on, what I should have done was say, baby, you're Hey, thanks for taking care of that. I appreciate you. I love you so much. And instead, I absolutely lost it and was like, no, I've been turning it off behind you over and over again. I don't know if just losing it, maybe you did it right there, but, but she's been a lot better about it. I just had to decide that it wasn't worth being persistent over. It didn't matter to me that much. And so I let it go. And that combined with her turning it off was, was, was great. But there is one thing that I do still just, it frustrates me to no end. My family all of them are terrible human beings. They, they leave remotes in the weirdest places, and I can never find them. And they have a home. They, they, there's a little table beside the chair that, it, that they could just be set on right there. And if we would just put the remote back in its home, we would never spend any time searching. Every dad in here is amen right now. It feels me. We would never spend any time searching for the remote control again. Look, that's a, that's a hill worth dying on, and I'll probably harp about that to the day that I die. But what I want to offer for you today is this idea that we're called to pray the same way. We're called to pray persistently. We're called to pray with a childlike faith that it's going to happen, it's going to get done. Going back to Paul Miller, he says this, children are supremely confident of their parents' love and power. Instinctively, they trust. He says, to learn how to pray is to enter the world of a child where all things are possible. Childlike faith drives this persistence. Church, have we lost our childlike faith that we knew at the moment that we stepped from death to life? I think about how much faith it took in that moment, like when we realized that we were sinners and we were done for, and we were dead in our own sin and we were desperate and we cried out to God because that childlike faith said he was the only way. Have we lost that? See, I, I, I may ask God for a lot of things. I pray for many things, right? But I'm only going to continue to come back to him with the things that matter the most. It's the things the Holy Spirit really burdens my heart for, that he manifests in my heart that I'm going to continue to take to God in prayer, that I'm going to continue to intercede for, to cry out for, to petition God for. That's what I keep coming back to God with, just like that persistent widow did. 
But what if I, what if I bother God? Because it says that that judge was bothered, and that's why he gave in. I want to remind you that Jesus says that was an unrighteous judge. God is a righteous judge. And he wants us to bring our prayers and our burdens to him. He wants us to keep coming back over and over again. He never tires of that. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. See, when our hearts are aligned with God's heart, then the cries of our heart are the same as his desires for us. And those cries become our persistent prayers. So we pray because we're desperate. And when we pray, we pray humbly and we pray persistently. We should also pray with the belief and a faith in God that he will answer our prayers. So we should pray expectantly. So Jesus has given us this, this parable of the persistent widow. And we've seen these pictures of humility and persistence. And this story that Luke read earlier right here at the end of Luke 18 kind of personifies all this in this one man. So let's go back and look at the end of chapter 18 for this final scene I want to show you today. We see this story of Jesus healing a blind beggar. We don't see his name here, but, but Mark calls him uh, Bartimaeus. This is a man who's blind. He, he can't see. He just hears that Jesus is coming. So what does he do? He says that he cries out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It immediately reminded me of this tax collector, right? That Jesus said went down to his house justified. But everyone around him, they, they tell him, no, hey, back up, shut up, move on. He doesn't want to hear from you. But Bartimaeus is blind and he wants to see. And he believes that Jesus is the one who can restore his sight. So he goes to Jesus with a persistent heart with a humble heart, with a desperate heart. He goes to Jesus with an expectant heart. Jesus answers him and he asks what the blind man wants. And I love this because Jesus knows what he wants, right? Even if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, right? Even if he wasn't, maybe he was just some miracle worker, he probably could have guessed this, right? Like this man can't see, you work miracles, he's coming to you, it's pretty obvious what he wants, right? But Jesus wants him to ask because he wants him to see that when we ask with our whole heart because we believe with our whole heart because we expect with our whole heart that he will give us what we ask for james says we do not have because we do not ask so when we ask in his name when we ask wanting and, and believing that we're in god's will we're able to ask expectantly and as i as i read through this over and over so I prayed over this. I just got stuck on verse 39. It says, And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him, the blind man, to be silent. But he cried out all the more. There's just a real sense of desperation here. Two things really jumped out. One is that, is that word cry, right? He cries out. Our Father wants to hear the cries of our heart. That just goes back to this desperation haven't we all been there like we've been to the point where we just want to throw in a towel and quit we get desperate maybe we actually cry we call out to god maybe it's out of anger maybe it's out of frustration but it's definitely out of desperation we reach the end of anything that we can actually do and we have to acknowledge that we can't do it and so we pray 
and we cry out to God for help. But I really got hung up on those last three words. All the more. See, others are working against him. They're actively trying to keep him away. But in his desperation, he cries out. And the rest of the crowd keeps pushing him back, right? And and it says that he cries out all the more because he's reached a breaking point here. Bartimaeus is already desperate and he's cried out to Jesus to have mercy. And these others are trying to push him away to drown him out. But his desperation only strengthens his resolve to cry out to the only one who can heal him, to the only one who can save him. Listen, we're going to hit that point and sometimes we're going to cry out and the world's going to push back. They're going to press against us even harder. And this is when we're called to cry out all the more to our heavenly father. Church, I prayed expectantly for D now. I just kept feeling like it was, it felt like it was this time like leading up to a big game. So it's also coach football, right? Uh, I, I, get, I get sort of anxious on game days, not in a bad way. Here's what happens. On Thursdays, practice is over. The hay's in the barn. And I can just focus on Fridays. And the whole time between now and then, I'm anxious because on Friday night, we get to see all of our hard work go into action. Everything that our players have done, all the work that our coaches have done, it's now put into action on Friday night. And, and, and about two weeks before D-Now, my prayers just really, really led me to start feeling that way about Disciple Now. If you ask our students and leaders from, from Wednesday night to Sunday morning, it's, it's all I talked about. I was so excited about it. Everything I had was focused on that and praying for that. I was locked in on what God was going to do. I feel like I just looking back, I kept crying out to God all the more. I was trying to imagine what he might do, right? How he might show up, knowing the whole time that he was going to show up, but super excited that I was going to get to be there. I was going to get to see God answer prayers. And I, I don't want to share the details, but I can tell you this. God did the impossible that weekend. Yeah. He took some of the things we were praying for that were just highly unlikely, and he made them happen. And even inside of me, this whole time, there was this sort of inkling, this suspicion that God was going to do some amazing things that, that we could not even imagine. But even when he did them, even though I expected them, when he did them, I was still in awe. And I was having this conversation with Sharice about this. And I said, I hope I never get to a point where even when I expect it and God does it, I hope I'm never at a point where I'm not amazed and awestruck at God answering prayers. After that weekend, I could tell you, like leading up to it, during that weekend and after, I stopped worrying and I started watching. So where does this lead us today? I've got two steps I'm imploring you to take in response to the words of Jesus we see here in Luke 18. First is this, it's real simple. I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I desperate for? Because this may not be something that's super spiritual if I'm being honest with you. Right now, the thing that's dominated my prayer life is, is scholarship money from two, from two colleges that we're waiting on. It's not super spiritual, it's just needy. It's desperate, right? I don't know what you're desperate for today. Maybe it's some health issues, Maybe it's some financial issues. Maybe today is the day the Father calls you across that line of faith and you literally step from death to life today. I may not know what you're desperate for, but God does. And I want you to ask him what that is if you aren't real sure about it. 
Secondly, is an action step. I just want you to cry out to him for that thing. Whatever it is. Cry out for it. Think about blind Bartimaeus. I don't think we have anybody here who's blind. I don't know. Maybe you know someone who is, but I can only imagine that if, if we couldn't see, if we couldn't physically see, and we thought there was some way we could regain our sight, how desperate would we be for that? I feel like we'd do pretty much anything we possibly could. Take out a second mortgage. Uh, we, we, we might be willing to steal money from someone or somewhere to, in order to be able to pay whatever it might cost, to do whatever it would take. I want you to remember in the beginning of the day, I talked about how, I talked about learning how to really pray. We were pray, preparing to send Caroline off to Nepal. So for those of you who don't know, one of my daughters spent five weeks in Nepal last summer. If you didn't know that or you don't know, ask her about it. Um, I know she would love to share her experience with you. But I really want to give you the whole story behind that. See, Caroline knew at 12 that she wanted to be a missionary. And she's been on a couple of trips with me, but she'd never been by herself until a couple of summers ago. She went to Kansas City. She lived with some missionaries there that were living amongst Somali refugees. And she spent six weeks there. And honestly, that, 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 that was, like, we missed her, right? But, but it wasn't that hard. Like we had people that were within an hour or two from her that could get to her pretty fast, hop on a plane and go, like, drive up if we had to whatever it took like we could have gotten there so it was difficult but it really wasn't too bad but now we're talking about nepal and apparently there are tigers in the jungles of nepal right and then on top of that she starts to tell us about some of these hard places that she might feel called to for the rest of her life man so I just want to be honest with you. It was one afternoon I was sitting in the house, and I'm not even sure my family knows this whole story. But I was sitting in my house alone, and uh, I was just talking to God. Nothing, listen, this was nothing spiritual. I wasn't praying, fighting up from heaven. I was just saying, God, will you protect her? Because I literally believed she was supposed to be in Nepal. That's what we all believe. We had prayed about it. We felt certain about that. But I began to pray, God, would you just keep her safe? basic prayers, real generic things. And then I began to think about these hard places she was talking about. These places where Christians are beheaded, where it's unsafe to be an American or a woman, definitely a Christian. She's all these things. And I just became overwhelmed with this worry about her safety for the summer, about her safety in the future. But church, this is where I learned to be honest with God. Because alone in my house, somewhere from the depths of my soul, I cried out, why her, God? Just send me. Just, I, I'll go keep her safe. Just keep her here. I'm proud of her and I'm thankful that she's being obedient. It's incredibly awesome that you're using her. But why her? I'm embarrassed and a little bit ashamed to tell you that, that was my prayer. But it was an honest prayer. But I can tell you this. After being honest and needy 
and desperate with God, I know that he understood my heart. See, I took my desperation to him and I feel like, remember, he's our father. And I feel like as a father himself, he wept with me. He knows her future. And he's still able, as the writer of Hebrews says, to sympathize with us. Remember Jesus going to raise Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Yet he was sad for himself and for Mary and Martha. And so what did he do? He wept. And it's then when God just ever so gently said, Son, she was mine long before she was yours. And she'll be mine long after she's yours. See, God answered my prayers and he showed me that it was okay. It was even imperative to bring my desperate prayers to him. He wants us to depend on him at all times, but especially when we're desperate. Going back to Paul Miller's book, he says, we have an allergic reaction to dependency. (laughs) Yeah. But this is the state of the heart most necessary for a praying life. A needy heart is a praying heart. He says, dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. I'm going to go ahead and invite Rachel up as I finish up here. I'm going, to, I'm going to close looking at the end of Psalm 34 and verses 17 through 20. Psalmist says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. I want you to look at that word, crushed. Now, I don't want to lose track of where we're going or close with some nerdy fact, but that, that Greek word here, I just kept getting drawn back to the word despair and desperate, and then this word crushed. It's, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this right, dakal, dakal, doesn't matter. But it means this, it means destruction, a crumbled substance. Listen to this, an object crushed into powder. I know some of us here feel this way today. We just feel crushed. But we can take heart that we also see here that God heals and he saves those who are crushed. Church, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for us, God sees us as righteous before him. He hears our cries. He delivers us. He is near to us when we're desperate and hurting, when our spirits are crushed. I'm going to pray for us, and I just want you to take some time right here at your seats for yourself. And I would you just really ask God those questions? Like, what has your spirits crushed this morning? What's, what's crushing you? What are you desperate for today? And then would you just cry out to God? Maybe you don't want to do that out loud in here. <laughs> Maybe you do. I just want to encourage you at some point today to find a place where you feel comfortable and cry out because there is power 
and speaking out loud those things that you are desperate for to God. He hears the prayers of your hearts. Cry out with childlike faith to him today. Father, thank you for the desperate cries of our heart. God, in a room with this many people in it, I know there are people here who are hurting. People here that just feel crushed into a million pieces, crushed into powder. But God, you hear our cries. God, would you strengthen us and give us the courage and the boldness today to just cry out to you. So that in response, you can lovingly say, son, daughter, I hear you. I love you. I'm here for you. How incredible is it, Father, that we can call you, Father, that we can come to you with everything. Church, will we cry out in desperation for him today? God, hear our cries. Amen.